Uh, lovely to see you here today, and uh, well done for making it uh, on, the, uh, on today. And a very happy Chinese New Year uh, to those who are celebrating. Uh, can I ask you to turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. Matthew 10, 34 to 42, uh, in your Bibles or your device or your order of service. Uh, it'd be helpful to have that ready. There is an outline uh, of where we're going in the order of service uh, that you're, uh, you can look at and see. Um, If you got that ready, most important that passage, then let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us uh, today as your people. Uh, thank you for the privilege it is that we can meet around your word. And we ask, Father, uh, that your spirit uh, would be at work among us, um, even today as we look at your word together. Uh, may he strengthen and empower me to preach your word rightly. May he, may he work uh, powerfully in each of our hearts, uh, drawing us to Jesus, helping us to follow him, uh, and to put him first. And so we, uh, we commit this time to you. Please work among us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've seen that we've been looking at Jesus' instructions to his 12 apostles as he sent them out on a mission. Uh, and we've seen that the mission he sent them on is different from the mission that he has sent us on. Theirs was a short-term mission specifically to Israel. Ours is a long-term mission to the nations. Their mission was to announce that the kingdom is coming soon and people should repent and believe that God was coming to save his people. We announce that the king has already come. That Jesus has died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, that he has risen from the dead, and his death and resurrection has brought the kingdom in. And so we call upon people to repent and to believe in him to enter into his kingdom. And as people who are part of the kingdom, we teach each other to obey all that he has commanded us. As we wait for him to return, to bring in the kingdom in all its fullness. Last week, we saw that the disciples were to expect persecution on their mission. Jesus said if people persecuted him, they would persecute them. And his disciples would be brought before councils and governors and kings, but he reminded them not to be afraid. The gospel would go out, and so they would play a part in proclaiming it. He also reminded them it's smarter to, to fear God than to fear man, because people can only kill the body. God can destroy both body and soul in hell. But that God was their Father, who valued them and loved them and cared for them. They were to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But they need not fear as they proclaim the kingdom. And that is the same for us as well, isn't it? We should fear God rather than man, and be faithful in our mission. We also saw that as the message went out, it would bring division. There would be some who would acknowledge Jesus before men, and some who would disown him. Some would confess they belonged to Jesus. Some would refuse to identify with him. Some people would enter into his kingdom. Some people would disown him and have nothing to do with it. Some would join the community of the persecuted. Some, in fear, would stay a safe distance away. 
the message would cause division. And the division that's created when the gospel message went out would be reflected on the day of judgment. Verse 32 and 33 of Matthew 10, Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, remember Jesus talking to his disciples here, huh? but he's not limiting what he's saying to them. He's talking initially about the people whom, whom they will preach the gospel to in first century Israel, but he's not limiting what he's saying here to them. Targeted them, but it's a general statement that includes every single person in this room. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. If we acknowledge Jesus, if we confess him, if we identify with him when pressured and pressed, Jesus will acknowledge us before the Father. But if we disown Jesus, if we deny him, if we repudiate him, he will disown us before the Father in heaven. And that would be tragic, wouldn't it? Because the only way that we can be saved is through the Jesus who died for us. The only way that we can enter into glory is through the blood that he shed for us. The only way that we can escape the judgment of hell, which we, which we rightly deserve and should rightly fear, is through the one who took the judgment on the cross on our behalf. But if on the day of judgment he says, I don't know him, or she's not one of my people, then we have no hope left. So what will it be? Will you fear the one who can throw you into hell? Or will you fear those who can hurt you and harm you in this world? Will you throw your lot in with the Savior who loves you, who died to save you, whose death can secure your forgiveness and your release when you stand before God on judgment day? Or will you disown him and face God the judge on your own? Are you willing to face the judgment of men with Jesus? Or you prefer to face the judgment of God without him? The message of Jesus brings division on the last day. Which side of the division will you fall on? But the division Jesus brings is not only on the last day. It is expressed in the here and now. And so Jesus says in verse 34, he says, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you think, hang on, isn't, isn't Jesus the Prince of Peace? How can he say he didn't come to bring peace? And didn't the apostles bring a greeting of peace? That would, in, two weeks ago we saw that would be efficacious for the worthy receiver? How can Jesus come say now he, he doesn't come to bring peace to the earth? Well, of course, Jesus came to bring peace between God and humans by dying for us on the cross, isn't it? To reconcile the Father to us. Uh, if we have faith in Christ, we have peace with God. And of course, those who are reconciled to God are, are called upon to be reconciled with each other. Uh, and so we are to be at peace with others as, as far as it's up to us. 
And of course, the day will come when Jesus brings ultimate peace to the world. But that's at the end when every knee bows before him and every foe is silenced. But for now, his presence does lead to fighting. It leads to the sword. Not a sword to be used against his enemies, because it's not that kind of kingdom. But a sword that his enemies use against his followers. And friends, that is still true today. There are many places in the world where Christians are persecuted. According to Open Doors, the three most dangerous countries for Christians in 2022 were Afghanistan, North Korea, and Somalia. In Afghanistan, there are a small number of secret believers. But if they are discovered, then their family or clan or tribe must save its honor by disowning the believer or even killing them. And that is widely considered to be justice. In North Korea, there may be hundreds of thousands of believers, but any North Korean caught following Jesus risks imprisonment, brutal torture, and death. Our Open Doors estimates there's 50 to 70,000 Christians in North Korean prisons and labor camps. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, the small number of Christians in Somalia are targeted by militant religious groups who control large parts of the country. And even when they're not targeted by extremists, Christian converts face intensive pressure from their own families, leading to harassment, intimidation, and even murder. See, Jesus attracts hostility. He brings division. And the division is seen in the way his people are persecuted. And that division even cuts through families. Uh, Jesus warns in verse 35, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Right? That echoes our Old Testament reading, isn't it? Right? Uh, from Micah chapter 7, where Micah lamented how bad things were in Judah. Godly people were oppressed, corruption was rife, you can't trust anyone. Uh, and in Micah 7, verse 6, For a son treats the father with contempt, a daughter rises against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are men of his own household, and God was going to bring judgment upon them. And Jesus says, My coming brings about that kind of division. The godly will be betrayed even by members of their own family. It is to be expected. Prepare for it. Again, this doesn't just apply to Jesus' apostles and, and those who heard their message on the mission to Israel. Jesus warns us that there may be times where we have to choose between him and our families. Now look at the whoever's in verse 37. He says, whoever, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We have many people in our community here today uh, who come from long Christian backgrounds. What if our parents say, look, we don't want you to be a Christian. We have our own religion. To become a Christian, you bring shame on us and our family. What do we do then? A number of you have known that experience, haven't you? Some parents are afraid to allow their adult children to get baptized because if they do, then who's, who's going to pray to them when they die? 
What do we do then? Some of you have known that experience. Following Jesus would lead to division and animosity. Do we follow Jesus? Or do we follow our parents? Over the years we've known people in our community who are persecuted by their families for following Jesus. Some have been kicked out of home. A close friend of mine was not only disowned by his family, they even called a Hindu priest and had a funeral service for him. I don't know him anymore because he decided to follow Jesus. It may not always be as stark as that. Sometimes it's just strained relationships. Sometimes parents accept that their children are Christians, but they still want them to share their unbelieving attitudes and priorities. And so, for example, when some of our people from non-Christian homes decide to leave their careers and engage in full-time paid ministry, well, parents can't understand that. Because for them, the priority is to have high-paying jobs in prestigious professions, and, and they are profoundly disappointed in the choices their children are making. There may be times when parents expect us to do the family thing at graveyards or in funerals. Some of us might have to say no to things even this weekend. And parents may be hurt or angry if we don't do what they want because refusal is seen as being disrespectful. Why do we do that? Serving Jesus results in division and animosity. Do we serve Jesus or do we serve our parents? What about potential spouses? As we get a little older, the pressure to marry gets stronger. It starts off with family members throwing hints and applying pressure, which we can either laugh off or find hurtful. But then as time goes on, the pressure comes from within. Will we get left behind? And then we lower our expectations. But will we keep lowering them until we compromise our faith in Christ for the sake of finding a husband or wife? We put our eternal life and the life of our children at risk by marrying someone who's not serious about following Jesus. Whether or not they take Christian on the box. Because it's not easy to follow Jesus when our spouse is not committed to him. Even when they're not trying to draw us away. Even they may be supportive. Not easy. Of course, if you're already married to a non-believer, then too late lie. Your job now is to do your best to make sure that marriage works and you still follow Jesus in there. But don't put yourself in that situation if you can help it. And what about our children? Will we let their desire, their routines, take us away from being at church? Will we let our desire for them to go to tuition or sports or taekwondo or whatever it is take us away from being a church as a family each week. Because if we do, then we are putting ourselves and them in danger of wandering away from Jesus in the long term. And that's not doing them actually any favors, right? Because the most important thing for them is they end up on the right side of the division. But despite the best efforts of, of parents, there are times when children grow up and instead of taking on the Christian faith, they, 
they wander away from that. Maybe not follow the parents. Will we be earnestly praying for our adult children? Will we be holding out the word of life to them? Will we be seeking to influence them and influence their children, our grandchildren, with the gospel? Will we be firm in our resolve to follow Jesus, even if, God forbid, we are the only Christian left in the family? Or will we let our own children and the desire to please them lead us away from Jesus? we serve Jesus or do we serve our children? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, says Jesus. Friends, Jesus comes above our father, above our mother, above our children. In fact, he comes above our very lives. He continues in verse 38, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Right? The cross was an instrument of execution. Huh? If you saw one taking up his cross, it only means one thing, right? He's, he's, he's going to die. And Jesus is saying, you must be willing to give up any, even your life for me and for my kingdom. You will face opposition, you can face persecution, maybe you will face death. I'm going to give up my life. You're going to come. Take up your cross, get ready to die for me. A theologian named Bonhoeffer once said that when a man, Jesus calls a man, he calls him to come and die. And that was literally true for the disciples whom Jesus was talking to that day. Within three years, Jesus himself would be crucified, be nailed to a cross. He calls his disciples to follow him. But it's not just the disciples of the day, is it? It's, it's us as well. He speaks to us. He says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Are you willing to die for Jesus? If you have to choose between Jesus and life, like some of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and North Korea and Somalia, if to choose between Jesus and life, what do you choose? Are you willing to die for Jesus? Paradoxically, you know, following Jesus is the way to life. If we refuse to follow because we love our own lives, then we end up losers because we still die. A few years later, maybe, we still die. And then we face eternity without him. And he'd be ashamed of us before the Father. And a Christless eternity means an eternity under God's wrath. That is a, that is a foolish option to take. If we follow Jesus, even if it means death today, it means life forever. Even if they take our life, they cannot take us out of the kingdom. The kingdom in which we enjoy life as it was truly meant to be, as God's people in his place, under his blessing and rule forever. And so Jesus says in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, the famous story I've told here before about Jim Elliot, missionary to Ecuador. 1956, at the age of 28, he and four friends went to preach the gospel to the Akua tribe, who were known to be cruel to outsiders. And not long afterwards, they killed him and his friends. 
And Jim's wife, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, visited that very tribe where people had killed her husband. And she began to witness Christ's love to them. And by God's amazing grace, many of them actually became Christians. Uh, Jim had a motto, and his motto was this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are you willing to die for Jesus? If you're willing to die for Jesus, then do it. I'm not telling you to go the equivalent of committing suicide or, or distribute Christian pamphlets in Kabul and the Taliban headquarters there or something like that, right? <laughs> not telling you to ask for persecution if none's coming. Not even telling you not to avoid persecution if you can. Yeah, you try. Right? But Jesus said to his disciples, when you're persecuted in one place, what do you do? Flee to the next place, right? He doesn't ask us to be stupid. Not looking to be killed. But if push comes to shove, and you have to choose between following Jesus and life, what do you choose? Are you willing to die for Jesus? If you are willing to die for Jesus, then be willing to live for him. If you are willing to die for Jesus, then consider yourself dead already. Then figure out from scratch what he wants you to do with the rest of your life. And do it. Jesus calls you to be ready to die. The fact that you're willing to die for Jesus, of course, doesn't necessarily mean that you will. Now, most of us here probably won't be asked to renounce the Christian faith at gunpoint. Not everyone who is willing to die for Christ is going to be a martyr. Not everyone is going to face severe persecution. Uh, furthermore, not everyone is going to be on the front line of proclaiming the gospel like the apostles were. Going from village to village, bring the gospel to them. We're all part of the mission, but we all have different roles. Even in the mission to Israel, you remember, not everyone on Jesus' side was going from village to village with the gospel. As the apostles went out, they would find those who, instead of persecuting them, would receive them and welcome them and help them on their mission. And that also will show which side of the division these people were on. So Jesus says in verse 40, He who receives you, that's the apostles, receives me, Jesus. And he who receives me, and whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. That's the Father. Jesus and his Father stand behind those whom they send. Uh, so if anyone is welcome, if anyone welcomes and accepts and believes the apostles, as they represented Jesus, as they proclaimed his gospel, they would be actually welcoming and accepting and, and believing Jesus and the Father who sent him. And that's the same today, isn't it? The apostles aren't with us, but when we accept and believe the apostolic message, we accept and believe Jesus, we accept and believe the Father. And when someone truly believes the gospel message, then one way they show it is by looking after the messengers who help and, and helping them do their work, despite the risk so they can get on with the job of proclaiming the gospel. 
And this supportive work that's deliberately targeted to those who are serving Jesus and those who are persecuted for his sake shows their loyalty to Jesus just as much as the frontline ministry. And so the people who are involved in this will be rewarded just as well in God's kingdom as the disciples who are doing the more public work. Jesus says in verse 41 and 42, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive the righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of the least of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And what's the reward? Well, Jesus doesn't say here. Matthew doesn't tell us. But if you come with me to Matthew 25, keep your finger there, come with me to Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we see that division again, right, in the final judgment. We see the division again. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. Uh, and that division on the one side, Jesus separates in verse 33, the sheep and the goats. The sheep and there's goats. And the sheep get eternal life and the goats get eternal punishment. And what do the sheep do? They fed, they welcomed, they clothed, they visited Jesus. Not Jesus, literally. But Jesus said to them, verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Right? You see, you see the connection between that and the passage we've just read? Everyone gives these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple. He won't lose his reward. See, if you're on the side of Jesus, you'll be on the side of those who are serving him. You'll be helping those who are persecuted for him. If you're on the side of Jesus, you'll receive those whom he has sent. Not just the well-known apostles, but the least of the little ones. The least of the little ones. And what you did for the least of these, his brothers, you did for him. And by doing so, you show which side you're on in the division. Friends, the support team is just as important as the public players. And the same reward, eternal life, is promised to both. Well, we've seen that the mission Jesus sent his disciples on was a dangerous mission. Disciples were going to be persecuted. The gospel they proclaimed was going to be a divisive message. Divide people between those who reject Christ and those who acknowledge him. You can get persecution from one group, they're going to get help from the other. And those who help them will be rewarded because they share in the same mission. And what the disciples were meant to do was to be faithful to the end. Keep following Jesus, keep proclaiming his message until death, and they'll receive true life. So, how do you think the disciples went with the mission? Well, Matthew doesn't really tell us about the results of this immediate mission trip. We get some hints about it in the next chapter, but we don't really see it clearly. 
But as you look through the Gospel of Matthew, we don't actually see the disciples getting persecuted in the way that was described here and in last week's passage, do we? Maybe because, maybe because they didn't follow Jesus all the way to death. Maybe they dropped out before it happened. Can you remember? Matthew tells us that when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, what did the disciples do? They deserted him and fled. Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. Jesus was brought before the governor, Pontius Pilate. Jesus was brought before the king, Herod, alone. Jesus went to the cross alone. Jesus broke his mother's heart by giving up his life alone. Jesus died for the sake of the kingdom alone. Even Peter, the one who acknowledged that he is indeed Christ, God's king, denied him three times. The disciples proved unworthy of him. And yet after his resurrection, Jesus forgave them and restored them. He gave them his spirit, gave them another go. He sent them on a new mission, a mission that, that we are part of now. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And these same men went on to preach the gospel fearlessly, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And they were indeed brought before councils and governors and kings. They indeed faced persecution, some very severe, and most of them ended up giving their lives for the gospel, just as Jesus said. So brothers and sisters, let us not despair. We know that we are not worthy of Jesus. We know that we have been cowards and failed to acknowledge him in many ways. But today he offers us forgiveness. And he calls us to a fresh start. He calls us to fear God, not man. To live to please God, not man. To love and serve him even more than we love and serve our families. To support those who proclaim him and those who are persecuted for him. He calls us to be willing for his sake, to face opposition, to face persecution, to face death. He calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Friends, let's be shrewd about it. Life is short. Eternity is forever. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. If we acknowledge Jesus before men, he will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. And we will be part of the eternal kingdom that no one can take away. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's just bow our head and take a few moments of silence to reflect on the words of Jesus this morning.